0: So uh, last night, my wife, Misty, and I, we went out, and we got a jump start on things. Has anybody started talking about Christmas presents yet? Oh, come on! <laughs> I thought for sure we were going to come in. It's not even Labor Day yet, So, but we were talking Christmas presents. For, for me, the strategy, we have four kids, is can I buy one thing that crosses all four off the list? And so here's some suggestions that maybe you've been looking at. Some people are into technology. That is not a typo. That's an $8 million iPhone. That's 192000 for the uh, iPad. A mouse, in case you're looking for that. 24000 for the mouse. All of those things are gold and diamonds and all that kind of stuff. His and hers, maybe you're thinking spouse. Some of you play golf. That's the most expensive golf set of golf clubs you can get. A shade under 53,000, there's a guy in Japan who makes them. You go over there, you tell him how much you want it to weigh, how long you want the club to be, how much platinum you want him to use, how much gold you want him to use, and he will make those to your specifications. That's an orchid for the ladies. That's a stereotype. Girls play golf, guys like flowers. But anyway, that (laughs) flower to me is not the most attractive flower in the world, but somebody actually paid $202,000 for that flower in Japan. Then you've got the most expensive dress down there at the bottom, 127. I wrote, um, in case some of you guys or girls wanna write this down so you can remind your husband. It's a dirndl, that's what it is, D-I-R-N-D-L. That's the type of dress, I'm assuming that's a designer. You could put that on your list and there's the most expensive dress shirt you can buy for the guys. For the kids, we got Legos. That Batman is a six foot Lego statue. 27,000, they actually bring it, I'm not sure what the challenge is, they send it to you in three pieces, so all you're doing is putting together three pieces, whatever, that to me is not Legos, but 27,000, you got 200,000, that's the most expensive action figure out there, the original GI Joe, eight for Mr. and Miss Potato Head, two million for this Monopoly set down here, that's a pacifier, the um, nipple, that makes me nervous to say that in church, has... (laughs) Is covered with diamonds, so I'm not thinking that your kid is going to enjoy um, sucking on that. This is what we have. These are for the person who has everything. You can buy them a pet monkey. A chimpanzee is the most expensive monkey. You can buy 50000 On the left, that's the most expensive Bible in the world. It's at St. John's. It's $130,000. It's actually not old. It's relatively new. A guy decided to do this thing by hand, and he mixed all his own pigments and wrote in calligraphy and did all these pictures. It's huge. It's two or three feet. Uh, tall. It's a big deal. This down here, this dinosaur, that's actually the largest and most expensive yard ornament that you can buy. Some of you have HOA covenants. I'm not sure that that would cover, but just, I'm always looking out for you. Shipping is free on the dinosaur. So you can grab that. And then over in the bottom corner, that's a -a whack-a-mole game. Y'all know that? Like Chuck E. Cheese? That one's customizable. So you can send them pictures of the five heads that you want to come up. And they will custom make them. And then you can close it, and it looks like a bookcase. So when your in-laws come over, they'll never know whose faces are coming up out of the thing. We've got some food. Some people like food for a stocking stuffer. We've got $110 ramen noodles, a little more than the $0.10 cents a package they are at Kroger. That's $6,100, the most expensive watermelon ever. 13 50 for a cornflake because it's shaped like the state of Illinois. That's actual. Somebody paid $1,350 for that cornflake because it's shaped like the state of Illinois. And then that's coffee up there. That's the most expensive coffee in the world. It's about $50 a cup if you can get it at a restaurant. It's $300 a pound. I wrote this down. It's called Kopi Luwak, L-U-W-A-K. It's made in Malaysia. Very interesting process. This is going to make you want to run out and get a Vente version of this for sure. There are these very, um, I guess they're tough coffee beans. They call them coffee berries that grow in this part of Malaysia. I think it's Malaysia, maybe Indonesia. Malaysia, and there are these, um, what are they called? Civets, C-I-V-E-T. It's basically like a mongoose. So they eat these coffee beans and partially digest these coffee beans and then redeposit these coffee beans. And then people go by and pick up these redeposited coffee beans and clean them, and that's where you get your cup of coffee. Sign up for that. $300 a pound. So, we're talking about the cross this morning. Uh, brutal. Unjust. Many of you maybe have seen the Passion of the Christ. that came out however many, five, six years ago. Gory. Just gory. Every whip you know, the nails, all of it, kind of in 3D, there, surround sound, all of that. We're not going to go that route this morning. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. We're not showing bloody pictures of Jesus up here. For some people, that's a that's a kind of a stirring thing, and that can help you see, wow, this is he did pay quite a price for me, and that can motivate you to worship him and to follow him. And if that's the case, I would say rent the DVD. We're going to move. A little bit of a different direction this morning, and look at Jesus as this extravagant gift that's been given to us. So, Mark twenty-one or Mark fifteen, excuse me, starting in verse twenty-one. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. So, um, a condemned man had to carry his own cross beam to the site of crucifixion. Jesus had been beaten so bad he couldn't do it. A Roman soldier could make anybody carry anything, so they just found a guy said, you've got to carry this beam for him. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Now this is Proverbs 31. Give beer to those who are perishing, wine to those who are in anguish, let them drink and forget their poverty, and remember their misery no, wo- no more. Apparently there's a group of women in... Jerusalem, who took this scripture literally, and so when people were being crucified, they offered him this drink. Myrrh apparently had some anesthetic, it was kind of like a narcotic, it could numb the pain, and so they offered Jesus this drink, they're offering all of these condemned criminals. Jesus turns it down, and they crucified him, dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what he would get. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's all you're going to get, and they crucified him. There's not a lot of detail about what exactly happened. When we looked at Jesus in the garden a few weeks ago, we said the, the physical ordeal that he went through is we, that's in the forefront for us. We're thinking about this torture and the brutality of this. It's in the background for the guys who are writing Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They don't focus on the physical abuse that Jesus takes. And when Jesus and when Mark writes and they crucified him, everyone who heard that the first time would have had a visual for what that meant. Crucifixions were public. They were intended to deter the anybody in the crowd, from doing anything that crossed the state. It was kind of saying, here, this is what's going to happen to you if you cross us. And so, just real quick, you'd be stripped and beaten. That's what happened to Jesus. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago. Then you would carry this cross beam to a site where there was already an upright um, sunk in the ground. You'd get there. They would attach your arms to the cross beam, either by ropes or by nails. We know from John, Jesus, uh, it was nails, most likely through his wrist bones, then they would hoist him on this beam, up onto the crossbeam, up onto the upright, then they would nail his feet to the upright, and they they leave you there to die. Some people it took days to die. Uh, Most people it took more than what we see here with Jesus. And the way you died was uh, asphyxiation. You you couldn't breathe. You had to hold yourself up with the, push yourself up with your arms and your legs, which obviously you've got nails in your arms and your legs, so it's going to hurt every time you push yourself up and in time, you just, you just get too tired to push yourself up, and then the weight of your body kind of comes down on your diaphragm. You can't breathe anymore, and that's how you would die. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. That word robbers are most likely they were revolutionaries who participated in this uprising with Barabbas that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Barabbas was the guy who they released instead of Jesus, and these guys most likely participated in that revolt with him, and so that's who he's being crucified with. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads, and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from there, excuse me, come down from the cross and save yourself. Remember during the trial, that was the charge that they were putting against him. He said he was going to destroy the temple, rebuild it in three days. One of the... um, reasons why these crucifixions were public was you were supposed to humiliate the victim. That was all kind of part of the thing. That victim was supposed to be insulted and humiliated and had to have abuse thrown at him. And so that's what's going on here. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults. So there's a bit of irony there. These guys who should know better, chief priests, teachers of the law, looking for the Messiah, continue to miss who Jesus is and what God is doing through him. He saved others, but he can't save himself. We know the reason he can't save himself is because he's saving others. He had to make a choice. He could save himself or he could save us, but he couldn't do both, and he chose to save us. At the sixth hour, that's noon, Darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. That's three. This is Amos 8, 9, and 10. This is a prophecy about this great day of judgment. In that day, declares the Sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your religious feasts into mourning and all your singing into weeping. I will make all of you wear sackcloth and shave your head. I will make that time like mourning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. You have this picture here, this sky's going turns dark in the middle of the day, that's not supposed to happen, that's this sign from heaven that ties into this next verse, and at the ninth hour, that's three o'clock, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Aloi, Aloi, lama sabachthani, that's Aramaic, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a quote from Psalm 21, or excuse me, Psalm 22, verse 1. Again, if you remember when we were looking at the garden a few weeks ago, this whole idea of Jesus in anguished prayer for hours, saying, God, take this cut from me. It's not the physical abuse he's trying to avoid. Remember, he just turned down the drink that would make everything feel a little bit better. Still excruciating, but not quite as bad. He turned down the anesthesia. It's not the physical pain that he's trying to avoid. It's this separation from his father. The sun turns dark because the father has turned his back on Jesus. He says, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you deserted me? Why have you left me here all alone. And we don't need to try to spiritualize those words. That's real. That's what Jesus experienced on the cross. We talked before this cup that Jesus said, "Take." it was the wrath of God that was being poured out on him. The wrath of God is his righteous anger over sin. And God has poured his wrath out on Jesus. And so, therefore, he has pulled away. The Father has pulled away from the Son. We don't We don't get the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, much less can we get how the Father and Son, who are one, can somehow... Be separated, but that's real, and that's what's going on, and that's where you get this cry from Jesus about feeling forsaken because he has been forsaken for the first and only time he's separated from his father, and again, that's a real thing. When some of those standing near heard, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar that was a, a drink that was supposed to be refreshing put it on a stick, and he offered it to Jesus to drink. Now, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. There's this folk belief that Elijah would come and rescue righteous people who were suffering. And so they want to see if that's what's going to happen here for Jesus. They thought he was calling Elijah. That word, Eloi, they might have misunderstood. Thought he was saying Elijah, calling out to him and not to God. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. Now, normally... When you were crucified, again, I mentioned earlier, it's exhaustion which leads to asphyxiation. There is no crying out, there's no loud, there's no strong, there's none of that. People just fall unconscious and then they die. And the fact that Jesus dies with such strength and authority causes people to take notice. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That's the curtain separating the holy place from the most holy place. The most holy place in the temple, that was where God was said to live or to dwell. And the high priest could go in there once a year, and that was on the Day of Atonement. He had to take a special bath. He had to wear special clothes. They had to sacrifice five animals in a very particular way. And then the high priest could go in. And even then, there was a lot of shaking in his heart about that. He, uh, they would tie a rope around his ra- waist. They had some bells on his robe in case the bells quit ringing when he was in there. They knew he died, and they'd pull the guy out. So there's a lot of apprehension entering the most holy place. And again, this curtain was really to protect the people from God's presence as much as anything else. And that that curtain is torn from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard this cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Mark one ten, very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's being baptized in the Jordan River and the heavens are torn open. It's the same word. The heavens being torn and the Curtain being torn, it's the same word for torn there. And it's the same declaration. What does the Father say to Jesus when he's being baptized? This is my Son, whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. God's Son. And here at crucifixion, what do we hear? This is the Son of God. So in this kind of beautiful, baptismal, birds singing, rainbows, all of that, we've got this is God's Son. Then over here in this brutal, unjust, bloody... Dark time, we've got the same declaration. This is God's son. That bookends the ministry of Jesus in Mark. And that's what we need to get. This is the son of God. Nobody else throughout Mark gets it. Nobody. The 12 don't get it. Peter gets that He's the Messiah. Doesn't say he's the son of God. Religious leaders don't get it. The people he heals don't get it. The people whose eyes he opened don't, don't get it. The folks he feeds. Nobody gets it until this centurion does at the end. And it's the way he dies that causes this guy to say, that's, that's the Son of God, which again ties back to the beginning with the Father saying, that's my Son. So what's going on here? We could spend years digging into the implications of the cross. Bo mentioned um, earlier, the cross is really, it's a doorway. We've got to walk through the cross, And that's the doorway that opens up everything that God wants to do in us and through us. Until we go through the cross, we don't have access to anything that God wants to do in our lives or through us in the lives of those who we're connected to. Again, we could spend years digging into the implications. We don't have time to dig into all of that. So I'm just going to take one phrase from Mark, Mark 10.45. When Jesus is talking about himself, he said, The Son of Man, that's how Jesus referred to himself, did not come to be served, Excuse me he did, He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. that idea of ransom that 's a payment that's made to release a captive, whether a prisoner of war, a slave, someone sentenced to die. i can 't take care of myself, so someone makes a ransom, they make a payment to redeem me or release me from that bondage and Jesus says that 's what I am i 'm a ransom i 'm a payment for many, and the many means everyone who chooses to follow after him. So that's what's going on here. This Jesus understands what he's doing on the cross as a ransom, as a payment that's made to set people free. So kind of in a crass way, I'm going to say, well what did he buy for us? If a ransom is a payment, then what did Jesus pay for? And again, that sounds a little crass, but that's the language that Jesus uses. And so we just want to say, well what what did he buy? If there's certain benefits that come through the cross, then we want to know what those are. He's already gone through the pain. He's already done the work. The check has already been written. If you like the picture, the gifts are already under the tree, so you might as well, I might as well open them. There's no reason to leave them there. He's already paid for them. So what has he paid for? What has he bought for us? First is forgiveness. If you've been in church for any length of time, you've heard that. Jesus died so that our sins ...could be forgiven. And that's 100% true. I mentioned earlier the Day of Atonement. This one day on the Jewish calendar... ...where the high priest would enter the most holy place... ...and he would do some... ...there about 10 or 12 things that he would do... ...all designed to communicate... ...y'all's sins, the people of Israel... ...your sins have been forgiven. One of the things that he would do... ...is he would get two goats... ...and he would cast lots for these goats... ...and one goat he would sacrifice... And the other goat will become a scapegoat. And that means exactly what you think. This is from Leviticus 16. It will be up on the screen. He, that's the high priest, shall then uh, slaughter the goat. Excuse me. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people. Take its blood behind the curtain. That's that curtain that's been torn. And do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way he will make atonement. That's he will make peace the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. So there's a goat that's sacrificed, and the blood of that goat is spread on these this ark or this atonement cover, which is supposed to represent that's where God lives, right there. We're going to put blood on that to show God has been appeased, our sins are forgiven. In verse 21, he, that's the high priest, is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place, and the man shall release it in the desert. That's the, uh, So we've got two goats. One is slaughtered, and the blood is uh, sprinkled on this atonement cover. Here is forgiveness. And then we have all these sins are placed on this other goat symbolically. We're going to lay hands on this goat, transfer from all of us, all of our sins, put them on the head of this goat, and send that goat out into the desert. Jesus fulfills both of those roles. He's the sacrifice. His blood pays our debt. Our sins are forgiven, and this whole idea, he bears the wrath of God. Jesus, in a sense, is sent away from the Father. The sky turns dark. He says, Why have I been forsaken? Because he took upon him all of our sins. And because he did that, the father withdrew, turned away, if you like, from Jesus. Because he is bearing all of our sins. He's both of those goats. He's fulfilling both of those things at the same time. If you like this picture better, parking ticket. Probably all got one. It's $25 or whatever here on the square. And the meter just keeps running. You get one, you get another. It, just, it adds up until you pay them off. Every time we sin, it's the same thing. Every time we sin, we sin against God. It's his law that we're breaking, whether we consider them small sins or big sins. You put a dollar amount on it, I don't care. We all have a tab that's running. And the thing is, God doesn't accept our method of payment. We can try to pay off this debt that we owe, but he doesn't. It's trying to spend pesos at Kroger. They're not going to take them. It doesn't matter how many you have. They're not going to take them. You've got to come up with the right currency. And the currency with God is blood. It's blood. That's what it takes to see for for him to forgive sins. Because sin is that serious, it requires that serious of a payment. So there's got to be somebody who's, for us, we're stuck. We don't have the, you give him your blood to pay for your sins and then you're dead. Doesn't do you a whole lot of good. We need somebody else to step in whose blood he will accept as payment on our behalf. And that's where Jesus comes in. He's this perfect sacrifice. The Father accepts his offering, his blood on our behalf. He pays our debt. That's what's going on. That's how our sins are forgiven. Sometimes we can think, well, it's free. I can sin and just ask God to forgive me, and it's great, and it's easy. It costs a lot for us to be forgiven. It costs the life of Jesus for us, but not in a heavy way. I just want us to recognize that that's what's going on here it's his blood that pays the debt that we owe so forgiveness that's first healing first peter 224 he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness by his wounds you have been healed we pray for healing here regularly physical healing because our understanding that's one of the things jesus bought on the cross that doesn't mean everybody is going to be completely healed now The Bible clearly teaches new heaven, new earth, no sickness, no pain, no illness, none of that. We don't live there yet. We live here. We can experience healing to some degree, but it won't be final and complete until Jesus comes back. But that doesn't mean that we just need to wait until then. Again, we can experience some of that now. Matthew 8, 16 and 17. Matthew's describing the ministry of Jesus as he's driving out evil spirits and healing people in order to fulfill the prophecy by his infirmities or by his wounds we have been healed. That's available for us. Some of you are struggling with physical conditions and you haven't asked God to heal you. It's on the table. That's one of the gifts under the tree. Open it up. It's been bought for you through the crucifixion. Access. This is Hebrews 10 Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. This a picture of this curtain being torn again. One guy, one day a year, limited duration, gets to go into the presence of God. The temple has been torn from top to bottom. From God's side, this temple curtain was ripped. Now we all have access to him. It's not about brownie points. It's not about good enough. None of that. We all have access because of what Jesus has done. Some of us stand a lot farther away than we need to. If you Google a picture of the temple, there are multiple courts. And some of us choose to stay In an outer court, for whatever reason, because we feel guilty, or because we don't know the Bible well enough, or because we don't fast, or we don't pray very well, or for whatever reason, we stay way back here. And you don't have to. Read Luke 15, the story of these two rebellious kids, and the Father's invitation to both of them is come in the house and eat with me. And He says the same thing to every man and woman in this room come into my house. You don't have to stay out here anymore. If you stay out here, it's because you're choosing to. It's not because he's keeping you out. Your name is on the list. Ask him and you can come. That's one of the benefits that was bought for us through the death of Jesus. Access to the Father right now. Freedom, Romans six 6.6. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. For some of you, you're... A Christian, your sins have been forgiven. You checkmark that. But you continue to live in bondage to sin. The Bible says he who sins is a slave to sin. And for some of you, that's the reality of your life. They're mental thought patterns. Fear, worry, anxiety, and they run your life. You continue to wrestle with the same things over and over and over again. You're in bondage to fear, worry, anxiety, pleasing other people, whatever it is. For some of us, it's not our thought patterns, it's behaviors. We, we have these compulsive, we would even, maybe if we were honest, say addictive behaviors. We know they're wrong, we set ourselves up, I'm not going to fill in the blank. We know it's just a matter of time before we do. Then we're going to feel guilty, and then we're going to say, I'm not going to do it again, and then we are, and then we're going to feel guilty, and it's just this cycle of nastiness that we're in. We're enslaved to sin. Our sins have been forgiven for Christians the holy spirit lives within us but there's zero freedom in our life either because of these mental strongholds that we have or these behavioral patterns that we just can't break no matter how much we grit our teeth no matter how many times we you know how many filters we have on the internet whatever it is it doesn't work you need to know i need to know one of the benefits of the cross is freedom jesus died to set you free this whole idea of ransom We're not captive to those things anymore. He defeated sin and Satan and death, and we don't have to be captive to any of those things any longer. You may have wrestled with the same thing for years, and I'm here to tell you this morning. He can set you free today. You don't have to struggle anymore. He can do that. He can do that work today because of what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago. If you'll ask, it's available not your willpower, not your ability to be a good boy or a girl, not your ability to think good thoughts, none of that. His work, you receiving His work into your life, and He can set you free. We're going to take communion here in a minute. As you come forward to take it, I want you to see in this, Jesus, it's not just that He did things for us through the cross, He also wanted to show us some things. One of the things He wants to show us is this is what it looks like to live. This is the pattern of life. Thomas Merton, he's a monk, and he's also an author, and he said, re- nobody saw the resurrection. Everybody saw the crucifixion. And there's a reason. Everybody saw the crucifixion. That's our pattern for living. Jesus says in Mark 8, 34, if you want to, anyone who wants to come after me, take up your cross and follow me. Galatians 2, 20. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. I've been crucified with Christ. That's a pattern for us. If I'm going to follow him, then I've got to, I need to grasp that means I'm the cross is part of it for me. Dying to myself. Dying to my flesh in order to live for him. People say that something is worth whatever someone will pay for it. If you want to know the value of something, then find out what someone will pay for it. Somebody thought that orchid was worth $202,000. That's what they paid for. That's what it's worth. A cornflake for $1,350. Somebody paid that for that cornflake. So that's what it's worth. If Jesus was a ransom for you. If the father gave his son as a payment to set you free, what does that say about your worth to him? Hear that. What does it say about your value to the father that he was willing to pay his son to set you free? That's what the cross does. It it reminds us, demonstrates for us, this is what we're worth to him. Not in some arrogant, we're the best thing in the world kind of way, puff us up, but the reality of who we are in the Lord and what he thinks, if we could get that, if all of us in this room could understand in our hearts, this is what I'm worth to God. This is the value that he places upon me, regardless of what my boss says or my spouse says or my mother says or my paycheck says, regardless of any of that, this is what God says. I was worth his son. That changes everything. John three sixteen. Everybody can quote it. God so loved the world that he gave his son. The cross is a demonstration of God's love. When you come up and take this bread and break off a piece and dip it in that grape juice, that is a tangible reminder of the love that God has for you. Romans five eight, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ, Jesus, died for us. Don't doubt that he loves you. He wouldn't have died for you if he didn't. And the fact that he did die for you demonstrates to you Tangibly, I love you. 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 That's why he died. It's a demonstration of his love. You guys are helping with communion. You guys, y'all can come up. This is what I want us to do. The way we take communion here at Stonebridge, Bo and the guys will come up and play. Uh, you'll come forward. It's easiest to come forward by rows. You don't have to. Sorry. Um, You don't have to come forward by rows, but it's just easier. Break off a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, and then eat it. There's gluten-free bread up here in these baskets if you want that. I want you to do two things. One, as you're coming forward, as you take this bread and this juice, I want you to see in that this is a demonstration of God's love for each of you. Recognize that. This is the value that he places on each of you that he was willing to do this. Let that sink into your heart. And from that place of worth and value and love, I want you to ask him for what you need. Do you need forgiveness this morning? Have you never made a decision to follow Jesus? Do it today. Don't wrestle with guilt any longer. Don't be a slave to sin any longer. If you like the picture, for some of us, we know, I'm wrestling, I'm struggling here. It's quicksand and we're trying to work ourselves out and the thing with quicksand is the harder you work the deeper you sink you need a hand from outside and that's what jesus offers he will pull you out if you will ask him this morning if you've never made a decision to follow him if you've never said forgive me of my sins do that this morning receive his peace for your guilt it's a wonderful trade for some of you it's healing there's a something is not working the way it's supposed to work Let's ask God to heal you this morning. And we don't stand on our merit or our grace or the fact that you're a really good person and you deserve to be healed. We're standing on the the cross. It's one of the benefits of the crucifixion. Jesus purchased healing. So we're going to ask him to heal you. Is it access? Do you feel distant, far away? Do you recognize you can come as close to him as you want? If there's distance, it's not from his side. I don't mean that to make you feel guilty, but to encourage you. Enter in, the Hebrews, enter boldly before this throne of grace. You can do that. I can do that. Is it freedom? Is there an area where you're wrestling mentally or in terms of your behavior and you just continue to fall in the same area over and over and over again? And Are you tired of it? Do you want to see the cycle broken? Then let's ask God to break that this morning. I have four children and the three oldest ones. I kind of stand in the middle of the hall and we do a corporate prayer. I don't know if that makes me a bad dad that I don't do one with each of them or not, but it's efficient. So that's what I'm doing. I'm standing in the hall. It's just like Christmas presents, one for everybody. So I stand in the hall, and we all just kind of yell our prayers corporately. And over the past week, I've said, each kid, three friends in your grade. You've got to pray for three friends in your grade. It doesn't have to be the same ones every night, but you've got to, each of you, first grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, you've got to name three and pray for them. And they're struggling. They're saying, I don't, I don't know what's wrong with them. I can't pray for somebody if I don't know what's wrong with them. And I've said, there doesn't have to be anything wrong with them. I'm sure there's something, but for (laughs) prayer, it's just asking God to get involved. So, what do you, what's something, as their friend, what would you want God to do in their life? What's something that they would like, that they would think would be great? Making a team, or whatever it is. Why don't you just pray for God to bless them in some ways? And the same thing is true for us when it comes to receiving prayer. It doesn't some, it doesn't necessarily mean that something's wrong with you. It means you're asking God to get involved in some area of your life. Remove the stigma of saying, if, if I let somebody pray for me, then everybody's going to assume my marriage is on the rocks, or I'm going bankrupt, or you know I'm looking at porn three hours a night, or whatever. That's not the case. It just means there's an area where you're asking God to get involved, and we would love to um, participate with you in that. If you don't want us to pray for you. That's fine. You can kneel on these empty chairs. We'll leave you alone. I'm going to pray you guys can stand and uh, respond as you will. But we will cut us loose. He'll dismiss us when we're done. We'll have a little bit of an extended um, ministry time here. God, we do thank you for the work of your son, and 100% I'm inadequate to communicate the emotion, to communicate the reality. I, I don't have it. And so my prayer is that by your Spirit, Father, you would speak to every man and woman in this room. God, for any who are, who haven't yet said yes to you, I, I pray right now they would hear you in their heart saying, "Come inside. You don't have to stay outside any longer. Come in and eat with me." These other areas, freedom and access and healing, God, I pray that you would you've. Purchase those on the cross. I pray that we would grab onto those things in faith this morning. That you would make all of these benefits available to us and that we would receive them into our life. And underneath all of that, God, I pray as we take communion that you would speak to us. We would hear you saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. People who have never experienced your love, they maybe have been Christians for years but they've never experienced the love their Father has for them. God, I pray that in this simple gesture that some people have done 200 times, your love would be communicated in a deep and powerful and tangible way. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.